Well, good morning, Connection. We doing all right today? We feeling good? It feels good in here, right? We doing good? All right. Wasn't exactly the response I was hoping for, but it's all right. We're going to move forward. My identity is not in how you responded. It is in Christ, so I'm confident of that. Good, good, good. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here and so thrilled that you are with us today. As Austin said, we're continuing in this series, Experiential God. And I want us to just go ahead and jump right into this and want to kind of give some context of um, what we've been doing and, and kind of uh, what these messages have looked like. And the way that we've been approaching them is we've there's kind of three different angles we're kind of looking at with this. The first has to do with the name of the series, a series Experiential God. It's so often in our lives, we have experiences, we have circumstances, situations that begin to be the filters in which we see everything through. Our experiences are the filters, filters in which we see everything through. And so it begins to change the way that we view God, change the way that we view ourselves, change the way that we view other people. And so we want to try to examine, are we allowing our experiences to dictate who God is, or are we allowing God's word to dictate who God is? And that we really want to be able to unpack that and we begin to correct those inaccurate ways of thinking. The way that we've gone about trying to do that is we have focused in on probably the most popular scripture in, in all of the Bible, which is John 3.16, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we've taken this, this most popular verse and we said, let's look at the character and the nature of God that we see in that, that maybe our experiences are saying something contrary to that. And so we're going to look at this passage and really try to, to see who is it that we need to understand more fully about who God is. And then the final area that we've been looking at is we've been going all the way back to Genesis and looking at the life of Abraham. And the point of doing that is we've been seeing these different parallels between the promises of God through Abraham and what we see take place in John 3.16. And the point of that is to be able to say from the very beginning until now, God's character, his nature has been consistent from all of time. And so the, hopefully in understanding all that, it's going to begin to allow us to see things more clearly and to see God in the way that we are originally intended. And so today we are going to be focusing in on two different words from this passage of John 3.16. We've kind of been breaking this, this verse into bite-sized pieces. And so today we are going to be looking at the two words of God gave. We're looking at God gave. And so that's where we're going to be. And we're just going to spend our time really unpacking that. And my hope is that what's going to happen is that as we begin to talk through this, it begins to shift and change the way that maybe we thought about things when we first walked in today. And so that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> I would like to pray for us, and then we will dive in. Father, we just love you. God, we are so thankful for our time of worship, our time of just um, lifting high the name of Jesus. And God, how so often our worship is um, what realigns um, our posture, our perspective, um, our hearts um, towards you. And so God, we are so thankful for all those that lead us in that and continue to point us back to the cross. God, we pray right now as we dig into your word and we just highlight two words in scripture that God, those two words would just come alive. Those two words would really begin to show us who you are in a way that maybe we've never considered before, maybe just in a fuller way. God, open the eyes of people that maybe don't know you, that God, that they would see 
that you gave them your son for a reason, and they are in desperate need of what Jesus offers. So, Father, we just love you, and God, we're thankful for you, and we lift this all up in your son's name. Amen. So I was thinking about, again, this idea of God gave, this idea of generosity, this idea of giving, and thinking about even the um, season we're in right now. There's so much about gift giving and all these different things. And I was just thinking about the different experiences in our life that are wrapped around that. And one of the things that came to my mind um, was a memory that kind of popped up from yesterday because 12 years ago yesterday, I got on an airplane and I flew to England. All right, I get to England, and I got my suitcase, and I begin walking through this town called Sheffield, Sheffield, England, and I'm looking for a restaurant named Botanical. Cards on the table. It was a pub, all right? Don't judge me. Um, but I'm looking for this pub named Botanical, and I'm walking through this town in the rain, in the, in the cold, with my suitcase, and I'm learning something as I'm doing this is that the English aren't big fans of needy Americans, right? When they're needing to know some directions, they weren't really a fan of trying to guide me in the right direction. So it took me a long time to find this restaurant, but finally I make my way to this restaurant and I sit in a booth in the back. The reason I did all of this is because my girlfriend at the time was in the study abroad program and was in Sheffield, England. And this was the day that they had finished their last class. And so they decided to go to Botanical, to go to this pub, and to celebrate this last day. They were going to be coming home in a couple days. And so they make their way to this restaurant, and they sit down at a booth at the front of the restaurant. And um, my girlfriend's friend hands her a card. And she opens up this card, sits down at the booth, and it's a card from me. And it is talking about our relationship. It's talking about um, just this time that we spent with one another and all the different reasons that I love her, all the different reasons that this has been a relationship that has been like no other. I've experienced a love that I've never experienced before, and I'm trying to use whatever words I can to express how I felt about her. But the reality is that I didn't feel like I could do that adequately in a card. And so I said that in the card. I said, look, it doesn't matter how I phrase this, I feel like it's just not enough written on a card. And so here's what I want you to do, Natalie. And all this is written in the card. I can't communicate this in a card. So what I want you to do is I want you to look up. And this is the picture of that moment. Because when she looked up, your boy was standing right there. <laughs> right? And so I begin to express my, again, my love for her and the best words that I could kind of um, bumble over, and then I got down on one knee, and I looked at her, and I asked her, will you be my wife? Now, my mom said to me before I went over there, she said, are you sure she's going to say yes? <laughs> Which was a little offensive. I was a little bothered by that, um, but I was fairly confident, and as you can see, yes, she did, in fact, say yes, and yes, 12 years um, this May... And we'll, we'll do one more slide because all that really matters at the end of the day, I, I know, especially for the ladies, is what did the ring look like? Let's take a look at that. Bam! How about that? Right? Honestly, so when I opened up the ring box, her friend was sitting right there and said underneath her breath, she goes, bang. And I was like, that's right. That made me feel good, right? So I say that story 
And there's two reasons I wanted to share that story. The first reason is this, because that was a baller move, was it not? <laughs> like, there is no getting better from that. Like, I, I realized that was my peak, and it's just, I'm just coasting from this, that point forward, right? So any opportunity I have to share that story, I'm going to use that opportunity to be able to do that, because, again, best moments um, that I will ever, um, ever have in my life. But the second reason is I was thinking about what was the motivating reasons in me doing that? Maybe you had noticed in those pictures that the shirt that I was wearing is the shirt that I'm wearing right now. And I believe that reveals a couple things about me. One, my wardrobe does not exactly um, stay up to date um, in today's, you know, styling world, right? I, um, I don't really invest much in that. But also, I don't like to spend money. I don't like to invest in new clothing. So what would motivate me to spend the type of money that I did on that ring? What would motivate me to buy a plane ticket and fly to England knowing that my girlfriend is about to come back in two days, right? That doesn't make sense thinking about my mindset that I don't really like to spend money. But the reality is what was the motivating factor for me? It was my love for her, right? I wanted to display that love in the best way that I could. And so every decision that I made came out of a place of love. But here's what I realized. Sometimes when it comes to generosity or it comes to gift giving or even gift receiving, sometimes that's not exactly the experience that we have. And sometimes we can have negative experiences in regards to this. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe some of you in here, you've had those experiences where you felt like maybe something was given to you, but you knew there were strings attached to it, right? You knew that, hey, I'm going to, this person's going to give this to you, but they're kind of expecting something in return. Like, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. It was a very conditional gift, right? It was very much a, this idea of, of the motivation was reciprocation, right? I'm going to do this as long as you do this back. And we begin to think that sometimes things can just be transactional. They can be conditional. And that begins to be an experience of maybe what we've had in our lives. Or maybe some of you in here, you felt like gift giving or being generous or giving up your time is just an obligation. You're just pressured to be able to do this. During this, this season, obviously, a lot of us are getting Christmas presents, and maybe there's expectations for you to get a certain number of presents for all the different family members, regardless of how close you are to those family members, right? Maybe you've got that crazy Aunt Susie, that there's this expectation, the obligation, you better get that candle for your crazy Aunt Susie, right? And you're like, all right, I guess that's literally the least I could do is to get this candle because you just feel obligated. It's not because you really want to. It's just because I, I have to. I'm supposed to. And we begin to think and our motivation is really just obligation. And the final thing I think about is that sometimes, maybe it's not about giving, but maybe it's just giving of our time. And sometimes we can be guilted into something. And people can look at us and have these expectations of us of, look, and they put pressure on us and guilt us into doing something. And maybe it, it gets explained like this of like, well, don't you want to do this? This is for the children. Don't you want to do this for the children? Don't you want to give your time, your money, or this to the children? Or don't you want to do this for God? Don't you care about what God cares about? Why don't you give to this? Why don't you give your time to this, your energy into this? And ultimately, you are more guilted into doing something. And that becomes the motivation is guilt. It's this motivation of manipulation. When you think about all of those types of experiences, that can then become the filter in which we think about 
generosity. We think about God's love for us. We think about all of those different things. And I feel like what's important is we have to step back from those things and see what is God's motivation in giving us Jesus. Because it seems like if these are the inaccurate things, let's figure out what is the accurate way of viewing things. So let's look at John 3.16. I want to put this up on the screen. And I want us to look at this. When we see the line, he gave, what is the motivation in him giving? What do we see in that? For God so loved. The motivation is love. And that changes everything. When we understand that the true motivation in any generosity, in any giving, if any receiving of God's love, of of God's gift of Jesus, we have to think about it through the lens of love. When I was studying for this and I was looking at this passage, most translations say it just like that, for God so loved the world. And what that shows us is it kind of shows us the extent of God's love. His love is so great, is so vast, that because of that great love, he gives. But another translation, the NLT, translates it this way. It says, for this is how God loved. He gave. And it's a slight difference, but it's a difference of, it's not about the extent, but it's the manner in which God loves. The way he loves is he gives. So which way are we supposed to understand it? Is it the the extent of God's love that he gives? Or is it the manner in which he loves is that he gives? And I would say, yes. To have the fullest understanding of that and to have the fullest understanding of God's love and what that entails and what that means is we have to understand both of those. It is both the extent of his love and how he loves when we correct that view and we now see that generosity, that this, this gift that God has given us was done with the motivation of love, it can begin to correct these other ways of thinking. So let's go back to the scenarios that I talked about. In that first scenario, it was about reciprocation, right? It was about you do this and I'll do this, right? A very conditional way of showing love. What do we know about God? His love is not conditional. What is it? It's unconditional. When we see it through the correct lens, no longer is it we receiving love from God because he expects something from us. No, 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 no. He loves us because he loves us regardless of our response. There's nothing that we can do to get God to love us anymore. There's nothing that we can do to get God to love us any less. Thinking about it through the lens and the motivation of love changes it from being conditional to unconditional. Thinking about the idea of obligation, right? It changes it from being the least we can do, right? The the candle for crazy Aunt Susie to the most we can do, right? Thinking about the ring that I got for Natalie, right? That when I walked into that jewelry store, there was a kind of a budget I had in mind, right? An amount where I said, you know, I kind of want to at least spend this amount of money, but I I can't really spend over this amount of money, right? And when I walked out of that jewelry store, the amount I paid was kind of right there. Because here's the reality, right? I wanted to give my best. When I finally laid eyes on that ring and I realized that it was kind of outside of that budget, it didn't matter. Because my perception was, this is not about the least I can do. The, the I'm just obligated to do this. No, 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 no. I desire and crave to do this. I want to give my best. When God gave us Jesus, it was not the least he could do. It was the best that he could do. 
When we think about love being the motivation rather than manipulation, it shifts things from guilt and translates it into grace. We are no longer guilted into something. We receive God's grace by understanding that his motivation is love. Here's the reality, that understanding that love must be the motivator for generosity changes our entire outlook and our view of not only receiving the gift of Jesus, but also being able to extend that to other people in the ways that we are called to be generous. Generosity is one of the natural byproducts to when love is our motivator. When love is the motivating factor in our lives, the result of that is generosity. It is just a natural byproduct. It just happens because we are motivated by love. The next thing that I want us to think about is that, again, hopefully that's beginning to shift some things in our mind, right? Maybe we're, we're beginning to grow in our understanding, this, this idea of, of God giving and just understanding the idea that love is our motivator. Now I want us to think about, but why is it that God gave, right? Why, we understand why he was motivated to give, but really understand what was the point of this. And for this is where we're going to jump back to the book of Genesis, and we're going to look Another story of Abraham. This is in Genesis chapter 22. And this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And this is one of the, uh, the best parallels to understand um, the, what God did through Jesus. We get to kind of see paralleled in what God was asking Abraham to do. And so to give some context to this story, um, Isaac was the son of Abraham, and this was something that was promised to Abraham for years and years and years. And Abraham didn't think this was even going to be possible. He's like, God, how are you going to give me a son at this age of my life? Because Abraham got to the point where he was 100 years old and still Isaac had not been born. And so we see this promise of a son. Again, same promise that we see in Jesus. And then we see in chapter 21, we see the birth of Isaac, that God fulfilled this promise that he had given to Abraham years and years ago. And then the very next chapter is what we're going to be digging into. So Abraham has just received this blessing of Isaac, this fulfillment of Isaac. And now God's asking him to do something that seems unthinkable. Chapter 22 says, Sometime later, right, a little, this is sometime after the birth of Isaac, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On the, one of the mountains, I will tell you about this thing that I have promised you and I have now given you. I'm asking you to sacrifice. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. There, We will worship and then we will come back to you. In the midst of God asking Abraham to do the unthinkable, it led him to worship. It led him to trust that somehow he was going to come back with Isaac, even if it didn't make sense to him. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac 
And he himself carried the fire and the knife in the same way that Jesus carried the cross. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You can almost picture Isaac walking around carrying all this stuff, kind of looking, going, uh, Dad, what's, what, what's going on here, right? We can almost picture this. And he said, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offerings, my son. And the two of them went on together. We see incredible faith on Abraham's part of saying, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I'm going to believe because of your past faithfulness. I can see who you are, who you've been in my life, and that's going to give me the ability to trust even when it doesn't make sense. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there he arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I can only imagine tears flowing from Abraham's eyes, thinking about, I'm having to bound my son on this altar and getting ready to sacrifice him. And his son looking at his father going, Father, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And it's just not making sense to either one of them. But all that Abraham knew is that I can trust God. I know him to be good. I know him to be a provider. He reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abram looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. That's translated as Jehovah Jireh. Maybe you've heard God referred to by that name. That literally is translated as God will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord that it will be provided. We see this picture and this parallel of what Abraham did and the obedience and the faith and the trust that he had. But we also see God's ability to provide and God's ability to sacrifice. There's a book that we have um, at home and it just it's literally called The Names of God and it's um, got chapter after chapter of all the different names that we see about God. And Jehovah Jireh is one of the chapters that's in here. And there's a section here that I wanted to read because I feel like it just, um, in, in really good words put together the, this moment that's, that's taking place here. And it's talking about Genesis 22. And it says, This moment foreshadows the saving work of Jesus. Through Jesus, God provided the salvation he promised. The Son of God was led to a mountain place and hung on a cross. He died there, willingly offering his body up as a sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb who took away our sins. And in return, Jesus gave us eternal life. If he provided salvation, which is our greatest spiritual need, then surely Jehovah Jireh will provide us with the abundance this abundance will ultimately manifest when we see the glory of God completely in eternity. Our rich inheritance will be found in his fullness. But even now, Jehovah Jireh gives us everything we need. Most of all, however, Jehovah Jireh gives us his presence, which is more valuable than all the money in the world. 
And do we grab a hold of that? Do we understand that his presence, that his salvation is more valuable than anything else in our lives? Why did God give? Because that is who he is. God is a provider. God will provide. Understanding that God will provide allows us to have faith in the most uncertain circumstance. When you are sitting in a situation where you're going, God, I don't understand what you are leading me to do. It doesn't make sense to me. Us understanding that God will provide will change our ability to enter into that situation. So again, understanding that God is our provider, shifting and molding and changing our view of who God actually is, all still with just these two words. And the final thing that I think about is when I was studying this, I saw one translation. It's Instead of saying God gave, it said God gave up. And I felt like that small shift really changed the way that I looked at this. Is It wasn't just about God giving us something. It was about God's willingness to give something up. When I think about our own generosity in our lives, oftentimes we're willing to give something as long as it doesn't cost us anything. We're willing to give our time or our money or our energy or whatever it might be into something as long as it doesn't mean we have to sacrifice something else. As long as we still get to do everything that we want to do, we're willing to give. But here's the reality. Sacrifice is the death of one thing so something else can have new life. God had to sacrifice Jesus in order for us to have life. Oftentimes, we have to be willing to sacrifice certain things so other things in our life might have life. So what do we do with this newer, fuller understanding of who God is by simply looking at the words God gave? And I believe that there's two responses that we must have. The first is we have to be, be willing to receive the gift, right? If God gave, it means we have the opportunity to receive that gift. But what stands in our way from receiving that gift? Sometimes I believe it is our experiences, is what we've seen in our life. It makes us question God's motive. And so we begin to think that maybe God's love for me is just conditional, that he's wanting me to love him so that I will do something for him in return. Or maybe we're feeling pressure to just feel obligated to love God a certain way or to do different things or to just check a box on a piece of paper. And that's how our view can be. Or maybe we feel like we are more guilted into loving God. But the reality is that we have to understand God's motive is simply that he loves us despite us, despite our sin? And are we willing to receive that? Sometimes what stands in the way of us being willing to receive that is we look at ourselves and we think, I'm not worthy of God's love. And the reality is you're right. We are all sinners. But God loves us regardless of whether we love him back, regardless of whether we get it right or not. He loves us not because of what we do or what we don't do, but just because he does. My daughter, Harper, she's just got a very, very tender heart. And recently, there's really been for the past couple of years, whenever she makes a mistake, she does something that she knows upsets us. 
she asks us, she, she looks at us and she says, well, do you still love me, Daddy? Do you still, do you still love me? And I've been over and over again trying to reassure her, trying to get her to understand, Harper, there's nothing you can do that's going to make me stop loving you. You made a bad choice, and I wasn't happy about that, but it doesn't change my love for you. But no matter how I say it, there's still this questioning, and she just constantly wants to be able to hear, do you still love me? Do you still love me? And here's what I realize is we're not all that different because we do the same thing with God because we begin to look at ourselves and we go, God, how could you actually still love me when I know what I've done, when I know what I've thought? But as the same way that I've tried to express that to Harper, God is wanting to express to us, I love you despite you. And today, would you be finally willing to say, I want that. I need that. I need that reconciliation with God. And I know the only way to that is through Jesus. So that's the first way. We've got to receive the gift. We have to be willing to say yes to God. The second thing we need to do is we need to look at what God has done for us and then for us to go and do the same. The reason we see God being generous is because it is an example for us to go and likewise be generous. God gives so that we can give. The reason we see in Scripture is that we are called to be imitators of God. We are called to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who's, who valued others above himself. So if we are to be into the, made into the image of God and we are to do the things that God has done, we need to look at the examples of gener- generosity, the way that he gives to us, and for us to go and exhibit that same thing. How does that happen in our lives? How are we able to do that same thing? And oftentimes in church, the way that you hear it described is it's talked about our, the way that we give, the way our investment or our stewardship gets kind of played out in three different arenas, it being our, our time or our talent or our treasure. Any of y'all have ever kind of heard those three things before and the different ways and opportunities we have to be generous? But here's the thing. Each one of those things has to be motivated out of what? Love. If it's obligation, if it's manipulation, if it's guilt, if it's doing it only because we feel like we're going to get something in return, then those things are not going to be carried out in the right way. When we think about our time and we think about how, how can love motivate us to use our time and steward our time in the way that God would desire, we see that the way that that plays out is that love has to be that motivating thing. We were talking about this in our Connect group this past week. Three of our couples in our connect group have a baby eight months or younger. The season they are in in life right now is exhausting, right? Many of y'all, y'all been in that season, and you know that time is, is fleeting, right? And all you want is sleep, and all you want is rest, and all you want is, is trying to fit in one more thing in an evening is not necessarily the ideal thing on your schedule. And we were just expressing how Sometimes over this past year, it would have been a lot easier for us just to call up and say, hey, tonight's not good. I can't make it tonight. But instead, what we recognized and we saw that there was never a moment that we gave our time to that, that we regretted putting and investing our time in that. Why? 
Because the motivating thing was our love for God desired us to want to be made into that image. And the way that we're made into that image is we surround ourselves with community that are going to pour into us, that are going to encourage us, that are going to challenge us. Our love for other people desires for us to want to spend time with those other people. We crave them in our lives so they can speak into us as well. And so when our focus is love, being the love of God and being the love of others, we want to spend our time intentionally with our talents. I think about these, these gifts that we were given. When we received Jesus, God says he gives us his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that created the heavens and the earth now, live, now lives inside of us and gives us spiritual gifts to be used, not to be taken and put into our pockets, but to be used for his purpose. But so often, what do we say? We say, well, what do I have to offer? I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as smart as that person. I can't say it like them. I can't pray like them. I can't read the Bible like them. What do I have to offer? Do we realize what we're saying when we say that? What do you have to offer? The spirit that is inside of you. I don't know if you know this or not, but the spirit has a lot to offer. And I might caution us of saying, what do I have to offer? Because you're questioning what God can do through you because of his spirit. When we recognize that, when we recognize love being the motivation, then we say, I want to create as many opportunities for the spirit to use me, to use the talents he has given me by the spirit working through me. And so I'm going to be intentional with using my talents appropriately. Our treasure so often the thing that's so tough to talk about in church. Why? Because money has always been the thing that we think about through the lens of obligation, manipulation, guilt. What if we shift that and think of it through the lens of love? And we think about that God knows that there is this string that's tied between my heart and my wallet and it competes for my attention. But scripture says that you can't serve both God and money. And so God's placed things in his word to help us with that, to help us ensure that our finances are used in a way that will cut that string. And so when we look at scripture and we see that we're called to give regularly and consistently, when we're called to give, our, our giving needs to be proportionate to our income. We don't view those things as a tax. We don't view those things as manipulation. We go, oh, that is God desiring our best. And it's because of my love for God and me wanting to see the mission of God carried forward that I want to be intentional with every dollar that is given to me. And I'm going to do all that I see in God's word of how I can honor God with that because my motivation is my love for God, not for the love of myself and how I feel like I should spend this or use this. Every person in this room has a next step. God is wanting you to take steps in your faith, but the way that that's going to happen isn't, it's not going to happen unintentionally. Brandon told me this week, he said, John, investment doesn't happen unintentionally. We don't just naturally drift towards investment, towards generosity, towards having that type of mindset. It requires intentionality. But here's what I want to assure you. It goes back to that first point that I made. When love is our motivating factor, the result is generosity. The result is investment. When our eyes are focused on Jesus and with the work of the cross and what he's done for us, we want to spend our time serving the Lord. We want to be used by God and allow this, the gifts that he's given us to be used for his glory. We want our finances to honor the Lord. 
Not because we were intentional of, I got to use my time, I got to use my talents, I got to use my treasure. No, 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 no. I just want to love Jesus to the fullest ability that I can. And if I'm focused solely on the cross, the byproduct of that is that I will be generous. I don't even have to worry about it. It's just going to happen in my life because I'm so focused on the cross. When we're not focused on the cross, our eyes come off of him and they come onto us, onto ourselves. And this is where we create a sense of entitlement. We begin to think that we're owed something. We're owed our time. We're owed our talents. We're owed our finances. These things are for me. A pastor said this. He said, gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Understanding what God has done for us leads to gratitude. Gratitude leads us into worship. Worship leads us into a greater love and appreciation for what God has done for us. And when we have that appreciation and that motivation of love, it leads us to action. So today we are going to sing a song called Gratitude. And the point of this is to point our attention on Jesus. Focus our attention on the work of the cross. And in doing that, we will be able to be motivated by love. And my hope and my prayer is that will change how we make decisions. It'll change how we use our time. And maybe you're in here and you've never actually received Jesus. You've never realized the love that he has for you. And maybe today that's the decision you need to make. And so as we sing this song, there's just going to be some people up front And what they would love to do is they'd love just to have a a salvation conversation with you, to talk about Jesus, to talk about what it looks like to follow him. And you've never done that and you want to do that. Everybody else is going to be singing. They're going to be worshiping. You come forward. You talk to them. They'd love to be able to walk with you and answer any questions you might have. For everybody else, let's point our attention and, and think about what Jesus has done for us, what God has given us through the life of Jesus and how that might motivate us to surrender And ultimately, the byproduct of that is that we will be generous and we will look for opportunities to be able to serve God in that way.